0: I've really been enjoying looking at these Joseph, uh, this Joseph narrative, learned a lot, and sometimes when I'm studying a certain passage of scripture for a sermon for that week, I see some other things. So as we come to the end of this sermon, there'll be some things overlaid next week that we're talking about today that I think we need to go back and look at and dig through a little bit more um, about this particular story of Joseph. I tried to get three chapters into one sermon, And um, God has a way of putting a lot of stuff in a little bit of scripture, right? And um, so we're going to continue today. Um, Yeah, I I saw the youth this week at the 658 uh, service week, and they did an excellent job, guys. I appreciate Connor's leadership of the youth um, this week. And um, my son was among the youth that went. And he wanted to go every day. He was so excited to get up and work in the garden they were setting up, the community garden, the, the uh, clothing pant, the clothing store that they're um, setting up and sorting through all the clothes and meeting some of the kids and playing soccer with, with them on the soccer f- field they have over there. And it was just really good to see our youth participating in serving the Lord and seeing their faith have feet we could learn something from them. Um, We send them, maybe we should go sometimes too. Amen? As we continued our sermon series on the life of Joseph last week, Joseph, we saw Joseph become the top slave in the house of an Egyptian captain by the name of Potiphar. And because he was so blessed whatever and whenever he did it, Joseph was running all of Potiphar's affairs. But Potiphar's wife wanted to be one of the affairs Joseph ran. But when our man Joe keeps telling her no, one day she gets so desperate, she grabs him, pulling his robe off of him, and he runs away. So she makes up a story, and is all like to her husband, see... It was only a matter of time before this Hebrew got the big head and tried to pluck the best nectar off the tree. Joseph tried to have me, and I screamed. He ran, and this robe is the evidence. Just look, for the Hebrew is dressed like he was ready to undress me. So Potiphar finds Joseph and throws him into prison, believing his wife, the royal prison, like our own sort of celebrity federal prison. And then the Bible says... That Joseph was once again blessed in all he did, that he was promoted to become like the player coach of the prison, a a prisoner who was also the warden. And then two of the prisoners have a dream, but not any two prisoners, the cupbearer and chief uh, baker of the Egyptian king, Pharaoh. Well, Joseph interprets both dreams. The cupbearer's dream meant that he would be restored as the cupbearer again, but the baker would be indicted and hung for crimes against the king. Well, Joseph asks the cupbearer, once he tells him, you're going to be free according to your dream, remember me and plead my case because I'm innocent and and I need to get out of here from what he describes as the pit. But the Bible says at the end of chapter 40 that the cupbearer forgot Joseph and he was in the pit for two years afterwards can you say deja vu? Remember how the story of Joseph began? Joseph is favored by his dad, gets a robe of favor from his dad, has a dream that prophesies that he would lead his brothers one day, so his brothers get jealous, strip the robe, lie, and put him into a pit, and then sell him off to be forgotten. Then he's sold to Potiphar, is favored by Potiphar, becomes a house ruler, gets a robe that reflected his favor and authority. Then it is stripped off by an evil wife. Then he's lied on, thrown into a pit, again, to be forgotten. Then he's favored again by the jail captain, then put in charge. God speaks to the dreams, and Joseph gets involved. And then once again, what? Left behind to be forgotten in a pit. This had to be worse than a dream for Joseph. This was deja vu, because it appeared that he was living and experiencing the same sorry, stale, and depressing story over and over again, having been used and favored only to be forgotten by God over and over. It It would only seem human to think that he was caught in a karma loop. Or some kind of, you know, cosmic hamster wheel, never to reach his manifest destiny. Maybe what he thought God had shown him was wrong after all. Maybe it was time to reinterpret his faith and what it meant. Like Joseph, it may seem like life is going nowhere you would expect it to be and go as God's child. Some of us are dealing over and over with the same mistakes, the same issues, the same struggles, the same can't just get ahead or out of things, same silent God apparently when you need him to speak, same God helping others out and leaving you behind, but God is calling us to a different kind of deja vu, a gospel deja vu to trust God again to believe in God again, to trust God anyhow, to trust God still yet, to believe God still again. Why? Because God is reaching us. The Lord is remembering us, and the Lord is redeeming us. The Lord is reaching us, remembering us, and redeeming us. Dreams were a big deal back in Egypt. Egyptians believed that the gods spoke through dreams, and they would use the details and imagery of the dreams to interpret them. It was down to a science for these Egyptians. In fact, dream interpretation was primarily in The science department, not the spiritual department of Egyptian disciplines of the day. They had all the imagery and their meanings written in a book, and they would look in a book, and if you dreamed about fish, they would look at a fish, and if the fish was next to this, they would look at all the symbols and imagery, and they would come up with an interpretation. The book of dreams was what they called it. Well, the Bible tells us that the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, had a set of dreams. And in the first dream, seven fat and pretty cows were eaten by seven thin, ugly cows. And then the second dream, seven plump grains of crop were eaten up by seven thin grains of crops. The Bible tells us that neither the science nor the theology department could interpret Pharaoh's dream. It was at that point, two years after leaving Joseph behind in prison, that the cupbearer remembered Joseph's ability to interpret dreams and how they came true. Pharaoh calls Joseph up to interpret the dreams. Now it was assumed back then that the gods put dream and visions in your head at night. But the thing in both situations that had Pharaoh and the servants downcast and fearful and unsettled was the question of what does this dream mean? What does it mean for me? What is coming down the pipe? And it would have been deadly or could have been deadly to interpret these dreams wrongly. It is interesting that none of the magicians or dream experts said, hey, Pharaoh, let me me give a guess. Let me give the old college stride to what the dream means. They simply said they didn't know what it meant. So the whole Egyptian world with their king is thrown into confusion and consternation, and emotional, and life mess. It it was near impossible to move forward or lead with this uncertainty hanging over their heads. And Joseph's answer to the uncertainty and science and human spiritual attempts in verse 8 and 16 is this. God is the interpreter of dreams. God will give a favorable answer To you. Now, favorable did not mean all good news, but favorable meaning you will finally be able to know and hear the truth and not live in the dark and uncertainty. So, just so you know what the dream meant, it meant seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine. And in verse 32, he tells Pharaoh that his doubling dream means that this thing is fixed by God. Now, that God alone interprets and gives the truth in uncertainty was not just about Pharaoh's dream, was it? It was also the application for Joseph's own dream-deferred life, right? I don't know exactly what you may be going through, or what it might look like you are going through again. I am not sure what the deja vu or dream-deferred feeling in your life is all about, but I must tell you that the constant cycles of ups and downs and then up and down again in our lives, it is still God alone who can give an answer and who alone holds the truth about what you are going through. And I know how this stuff goes. You and I have already read the bones, right, in our lives. We've already may have determined that our continued money issues or loneliness or hard marriage again this year or our spiritual growth struggle or addiction fight again or lack of friends this year again or being overlooked for this job or opportunity or rejection in this Uh, Means we all know what it means. And and if we come scientifically only looking at what I would describe as empirical evidence of how many times this happened or how many years is going on or how much money we don't have or have, or if we approach it spiritually, emotionally that this is happening because we are being divinely punished or forgotten or overlooked, maybe because of something bad we did or something good we forgot to do for for God to love us, or we are just one of those people God or the cosmos just doesn't like. Or even on the other hand, looking and reading and interpreting prosperity, your good stuff, or happiness according to figures, and how good you are in managing your money, or running your household, or how just awesome and good you are. You and I, when we do that, may be treading in an area that is God's alone. You are interpreting the deja vu. You're interpreting the vision that you think you see of your life, what you think you can see and gather about your life from a finite clouded position and making judgment and declaration over it. Let me let you know what Joseph revealed to the whole world back then. God alone fully and truthfully pulls the circumstances and outcomes and facts and and present and past of our lives and defines it and puts declaration over it. His scripture, his word alone is right and always right and true about us. His means of prayer and waiting and listening from leaders and worship and through his spirit with confirmation from others and just that sort of unmoving truth that God is in control when you can't be that he loves you and never will forsake you, those who are in Jesus, those are the things that we must look to to interpret our life and not what we think we can do with it. Bottom line, stop condemning, judging, or complimenting your life by how you feel, or what you think you see, or by what, again, I describe as facts, or, or advice given from people who are not trusting the Lord, or whom you are not trusting the Lord for. It is wrong for us to do that, and we are destroying our ability to hear from God when we do this, and it keeps us living in fear and in the pit of life. Life is like a deja vu a vision, right? It feels like a dream. And let me tell you, just like that, you can only know in part and feel, but we must trust God to tell us and reveal what it means in His time and in His way. And it may take years to truly understand what's going on. I know we don't want to hear that. We love books. We love education. Why? We want to be in control. We want the book of dreams for our lives to interpret everything goes on and why this happened and when this happened so we can make way for ourselves. Joseph said it. God alone interprets dreams. God alone interprets and knows your life. And I can tell you this about your situation, your confusion, and your sure human interpretation that could be so wrong. God remembers us. Look at what happens here in verse 14 after he interprets the Cutbury's dream. Now, you don't have this. I don't know. I meant to have it in there in chapter 40. It says this, So Joseph interprets the dream, and he says, Only remember me, to the cupbearer, when it is well with you. Please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house, prison at that point, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Then in verse 23, it says this, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Then in chapter 1, it says this, After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed, and that's when the cupbearer remembered. The cupbearer forgot Joseph for two years. I don't know why, but two years is a long time for us when you thought God would remember you. But God remembered Joseph, and he caused Joseph to be remembered by doing only what God could do. He caused dreams above the control and understanding of others that demanded that Joseph be moved from the pit and onward to where God would have him. God did not forget, he simply took two years to act. That is not the same thing as forgetting. In fact, God was forging His plan for Joseph. We, our destiny, our good are in God's remembrance. That means they're in the mind of God, which means it is not always right before us. Like we discovered earlier, the signs that God is at work are there, but the interpretation and control of the where and the when and exactly how are not ours. But we can be sure that we are in the remembrance of God, which means God's mind has embraced our situation and the knowledge of us, and it will not let us go. God moves and acts with us in mine. The other day I promised Clark a video game based on a reward for something he went above and beyond in, even suffering a bit. That ain't necessary. Sometimes that's life. You don't get a video game every time you do right. You're supposed to do right. As some people say, you want a cookie? No, you're supposed to do right and obey. But I wanted to bless him and love on him. I came home, you know how kids are, we're going, I'm gonna get you the video game you want. Right? And so he's in the back, seat. he's smiling, man. But I went home before going straight to the video store. And it was like, but dad! And I just lifted one finger and whispered, I know, I remember, but in my stopping at home, That stopping at home first thing was the knowledge, in that act was the knowledge and understanding of remembering Clark. He just didn't see it. I did not leave him or my promises behind, it was incorporated in all that I was doing. And I'm human. And I've forgotten sometimes. And that is the good news. Because if we were allowed, hear this now. If you and I were allowed all up in the mind of God, which has one memory of past, present, and future that already has been and not yet held together, not in IMAX 3D, but divine 3D, our heads would explode. It would be too excellent and marvelous and too wonderful for us to handle. And if our heads didn't explode, we would argue with God about when and why, and we would be that much more untrusting and at war with his timing and way. We would even say, God, you're doing it this way or planning to do this way is off. And we would end up, get this, that much more at odds with God's choices. Don't fool yourself. If you knew what God was doing in your life at every turn, there would be an argument between you and God about how it needs to happen. If you don't believe me, why are you so stressed about what God is doing now if God is in control? You don't want to know. Our hope is not in our concept of time and comfort and control, but in this fact that God has remembered that he knows, he's divinely aware and acute and informed about you and me. The question is never whether we or our lives are in God's plans, but do we live our lives as if we believe God has our lives in his plans, in his remembrance, in what he is forging. Let me tell you something. Your friends may have forgotten you. Your future employer, so thought might be your future employer, have forgotten you, it seems. Your mama and daddy and brother and sister may not have you in mind in their selfish pursuits. The world might be moving on, getting boyfriends, girlfriends, engaged, married, having kids, getting promotions and careers and houses and vacations and fit and healthy. The world is leaving you behind in your misery, and they are moving out and moving on. But God, the God of the Bible, your God, is not leaving you to a devastating deja vu. As he moves, so go you. As he triumphs, so go you. As he enters and moves time and space and nature and history, so goes you in the mind and loving will of God. God is not moving on without or forgetting you. He's not taking you through the same nightmare all over again, though it seems. God is moving forward and upward and onward, and your life may be like a wheel, right? Many revolutions, but going somewhere. Many revolutions, but not in the same place. Many revolutions, but in the remembrance of God moving toward a revolutionary redemption. Look with me at chapter 41, verse 14. I hope all these scriptures are in there. So this is after he talks to Pharaoh. And the Bible says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he he came in before Pharaoh. And then let's jump down to verse 38 in chapter 41. And Pharaoh, this is after he's interpreted the dream, giving Pharaoh some advice on what to do. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and over my people, sorry, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. Then the Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments, here we go again, in fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. Then he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephenath-Paneah, and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered into the service of Pharaoh king of Egypt, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. Before I get into what we see God doing for Joseph, let me make clear some of what we learned in our past sermons. There was never a place or position, even in the pit, that God was not with or at work in Joseph. But this is a picture of Joseph being where God already had him going. This was Joseph's God-given destiny, having gone through many cycles. I want to make sure we are careful in what we are seeing here. Joseph has been put in the position he needs to be to serve not Pharaoh, not himself, or his destiny or his dream that he thinks he needs to get, but through his Egyptian post, able to serve and please God. Got that American capitalist? Got that? Got that? Hey you know, I'm here to pursue my destiny, and God's going to help me. Got that backwards. God's going to help you pursue the destiny to serve Him, not your idea of what success and prosperity looks like, even though Joseph got it pretty good right now. But we'll get back to that next week. Joseph has been put in that position to please God. So, yes, he gets the king credit card and the signet ring, the king's treatment when he rides around in the ancient version of the motorcade with the flags on the front with the bulletproof, you know, tinted glass suburbans that make the interstate stop running. He controlled the country's money and the grain. He ran things, man. Joseph was finally in a position to be used by God the way God had called his life to be used from the the beginning and taken him through the cycles to get him there. And this picture of Joseph's power as he rides around and rules in Egypt tells and teaches us this. Nothing could stop Joseph because nothing could stop God from doing what he had called Joseph to do. The Egyptian people... And world literally had to bow and make way and open up for what God had called for Joseph to do. But not only on the chariot, but even in the pit in the prison. The downtimes had to swallow him up and then give him up for him to move in God's plan for his life. And so after all is said and done, over and over it seemed. This was not the same Joseph. Things had really changed. He was redeemed out of the pit, and he he and the world could see it. He was not in a cycle. God was truly redeeming him all along, and he was actually going somewhere every time he wasn't seemingly going anywhere. God is redeeming us and our stories In our issues, in our bondages, you and I again are not trapped in a futile, divine, karma, reincarnated, bad dream deja vu. You are not living the same thing over and over. You are in God's gyroscope wheel, right? within a wheel where you might be turning in one direction while the whole thing is moving forward. You might be facing that way, but you are actually going in one direction. With God, regardless of whether you might be in the upside down position of your roller coaster ride, you are actually and truly living and moving in a straight line of unstoppable, undeniable revolutionary redemption to be who God has called you to be. And you and your life is not what it was yesterday. Not even yesterday, definitely not where you are headed and where you end up. Your life is being redeemed in His time, in His way, by His power right now. And nothing can stop that or take that truth away. Nothing should stop us from believing and and hoping that we are not and won't be what and who we need to be to do for God, that yes, you, believer, are changing and becoming more of what he wants through every crisscross, curve, twist, and turn. Later in the Bible, the apostle Paul tells us that all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose, and that if God is for us, Who can be against us? People of God, nothing, nothing can stop and is stopping your ride and your rise to your place that God wants you. Not success, not suffering, not the pit, not this world, not its kings, not its unsealed power, unseen power. In fact, the whole world, even what you are going through right now, again, the deja vu, are but the vehicle or divine commission chariot carrying you, the thing and situation and reoccurring so-called failure you experience is not against you or holding you back or holding you down. Don't you understand? It can't, and it can't be. This is not a sign of your failure. It is just waiting to bow and give and make way for God to do and act in you. I want you to lift up your head and your prayers and walk and live life like Joseph rode and ruled as if God put you there and called you there, whether writhing in a pit or rolling up into place. As God's sons and daughters because of Jesus, the world works and is working God's ultimate good purpose and plan in and through you. And that does not necessarily have a certain salary or house size or certain group of friends that go with it. It's just that God goes with it, and the world has to bow and move out of the way for his redemption of you. But this is a story of gospel deja vu. So it's not because of me and you, but for me and you. We're going to talk more about this next week, but what is somewhat just. Dis- Disconcerting about this story, if you didn't notice, is that Joseph had to be shaved, which means he would be shaved. He went to the Pharaoh's barber, okay? So he had the same cut as everybody else. He looked like an Egyptian and then clothed and then married into, uh, 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 married off to an Egyptian priest's daughter, and then his name changed. He wasn't just integrated to, to Egyptian culture. He was, wasn't just ingratiated. He wasn't just a good Egyptian leader. This Hebrew was assimilated. He was Egyptianized for God's purposes. And though he's still worshiping his God, he is married to this daughter of the priest. God's plan was that he become an amalgamated Jew to be used to save and serve God's people and lives out of the pit and move them along too. It's gospel deja vu. Because like Joseph's story, God sent Jesus from his favored side to the pits and prisons of our lives to be the incarnated Logos, the answer and interpretation to all that we as humans could know and feel and experience. He became a perfectly and divinely amalgamated being, fully human and fully God and one, the God-man who, like Joseph with Pharaoh's power, had God's power and spoke to the waves and the winds and the demons and the sicknesses and the leaders and the world had to bow and stop to his destiny. Even those who wanted him not to die, they had to stop, and bow to what God had called him to do, to be lifted up high on the cross, to only be brought down low to the grave, to then in an unexpected remembrance, to be raised for our salvation, to now sit at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, equal in power and substance with God, hearing our prayers, redeeming and rescuing us. Joseph's life was a gospel deja vu of the coming prince of peace, the one who would save us. And Jesus' life was a gospel deja vu for ours because, like he suffered, died, and was remembered by God, and we raised and seated in high royal places. Guess what, y'all? Good news. It will be so, so for you who know Jesus. Whether you are sitting in the pit or riding on the chariot of success, you are headed to be with God. His story is now your story. If God kept Jesus, if he triumphed eventually over our sin, over Satan and the grave and evil humans and circumstances, even though he suffered deja vu, so will you. If he died and then was raised bodily to new life, deja vu, so will we. Up from the ground, death, lifted to, to be with our God above all this mess forever. Like Jesus, if he is your Lord and Savior, good news, gospel, deja vu. Because of Christ, so will you. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you